53. And God's word says this. Once, when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him, so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told him, Behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way and this is not the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw. And behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? He answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you've taken captive with your sword and your bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. Please be seated. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help as we look at his word today. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being here. We are imperfect vessels. We are imperfect in our hearing, in our speech, in our understanding. We are fallen people, and we're dealing with a perfect holy word. And we need your Holy Spirit's help today. Help us as we interact. Do your loving work here in our midst. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're getting to a, an interesting part in, this, in the passage. I'm going to tell you ahead of time, next week is rough. Scripture, but it's rough. 
And I'm thinking it's about time to take a couple of weeks more in 2 Kings, and then we'll go back to the Gospel of John and get started and ready for Easter, and then we'll come back to 2 Kings uh, down the road. But what a passage. I was saying this morning, it seems like the message from 2 Kings is about the same each time. What we're hearing about is the message we want us to understand. God is sovereign. God looks out for his people. God's protection is there. And today we get to see that even if we don't see it physically with our eyes. This is a great passage for this. Um, We love this this passage. I'm going to sum up the text with a, a verse from Psalm 125 that says this, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. And that's the thought to put in our head even as we listen today. We'll see three things today from the text. One is God's uncanny protection. That's in verses 8 through 13. Then we will see God's unseen protection. That's in verses 14 through 17. And finally, God's unexpected protection, verses 18 through 23. So first, look at this text and and, and consider with me God's uncanny protection protection. Well, maybe first we better define the word uncanny. Um, I thought I knew what it meant, but I needed to look it up and make sure uh, this was the right word to use for this. Uncanny means mysterious or impossible to explain, especially when causing uneasiness or astonishment. A synonym for uncanny would be weird, God's weird protection. And it certainly was weird to the king of Syria. He was at war. He was going to come down and and conquer the people of Israel, who were God's people. But every time he would get ready to make his plan and go down there to where the king of of Israel was, the king of Israel wasn't there. Wanted to go, he's gone. Wanted to go, he's gone. And finally he did what anybody would do. He got his people together and said, who's the spy? Who's the mole? Who's the rat? Who's telling him these things? Uh, This doesn't make sense. Uh, One time can be coincidence. Two times maybe. But over and over again, something's not right. And he found this human explanation for why uh, the king of Israel was always able to elude him. I just want to say what sometimes people call a coincidence is really what we understand to be a God incidence. Don't believe in coincidence. I believe that people believe that, and that's the best explanation they have. A human, logical, but they say, what just a coincidence? It's chance. And we say, no, not with God. No chance. God incidences. And God was behind this, protecting his people, his uncanny protection. The king of Syria looking for that human, logical explanation. If you don't believe in God... I feel sad for you because all you have then is just trying to explain things in an earthly way. And you might be able to get by with that for a time, but you can't get by with that forever because God's at the back of things and you can't logically uh, get with it. We love science. If you believe in God, you love science human logical explanations because science and logic are gifts from God. But there is also the uncanniness of life. 
and that is a great thing for the Christian. It wasn't in my notes, but I was talking about this book. I, I referred to it last week and had a discussion this morning about it, about the Dust Bowl days. And um, the things that they tried uh, when all of this dirt and soil is lifted up from the areas there in Oklahoma and, 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 and the panhandle of they're around there in Texas, and it's lifted up, and, and these farmers are dying, and there's no rain, and, and little babies are inhaling all this dust and, and going. And people would travel around, and they'd say, uh, for $300, I can shoot these chemicals up, and I can be the cloud buster. I can be the rainmaker. I can do these things. And they had scientific explanations for it, but it never worked. And they were trying to find ways to... Uh, keep the soil in place so they could plant their crops and live on the land that, that was theirs. And there's a point at which you have to say, like they say in your insurance policies, act of God. And we don't know. And so we look to God for answers and we look to God for protection. It's a great thing to know that there is a God who set things down in order. But when things don't make sense and are unexplainable, that that's the same God in charge of those things, of all things. Listen to Psalm 124, the entire psalm. It's good. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowler. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. You need to trust that Lord. You need help to come from the Lord. There's a point in time at which the Lord uses our friends, uses our families, maybe our parents, maybe uh, other people or other things or, or the money we've been able to save and all that. But there's a point in time at which all that runs out and we need the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that every single time there's trouble in your life that you will be delivered miraculously like we're going to read about here. We talked about this again uh, Wednesday morning. It was our chapter. Um, It doesn't mean that there aren't times where God's people are not killed. Look at the book of Acts. Early on in Acts, James was killed early on in the days of the church. Uh, He was taken captive. He was killed. Peter was taken captive. And what happened? Here comes the angel in a dream, drops the the, the chains off. How the the sleeping guards didn't wake up. And Peter, angel said, follow me. And he follows. Uh, That's God's business. Bible doesn't say God loved Peter more than James. God just said this is James's plan. But I think it's very comforting, and it should be for all of us, to know that God can deliver us. And if God can deliver us and loves us and chooses not to bring that miraculous escape from all of that, 
then that must be a loving God with a good plan for us, a better plan for all, all of things. And I can take great comfort in that. God is capable. And if he doesn't do it, that's also for his own glory for some greater purpose. It was October 16, 1555. People that were preaching the gospel in England at that time were under severe persecution. We have a couple examples from church history uh, of two guys, Latimer and Ridley. Ever heard of Latimer and Ridley? Preaching the gospel, standing up to the organized religion of the day and saying, we got to preach the Bible and not the myth and everything that's surrounded the church and has sprung up around it. 70-year-old Latimer allegedly said, Be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as shall never be put out. He said that as they were standing there waiting for the flames to ignite them as they were going to be burned at the stake for their Christian testimony and for not backing down in telling the truth. Here's what one historian has come down to us in history, wrote about it. Ridley went to the pyre in a smart black gown, but the gray-haired Latimer, who had a gift for publicity, wore a shabby old garment, which he took off to reveal a shroud. Ridley kissed the stake, and both men knelt and prayed. After a 15-minute sermon urging them to repent, they were chained to the stake and a bag of gunpowder was hung around each man's neck. The pyre was made of gorse branches and wooden kindling. As the fire took hold, Latimer was stifled by the smoke and died without pain. But poor Ridley was not so lucky. The wood was piled up above his head, but he writhed in agony and repeatedly cried out, Lord, have mercy upon me. And I cannot burn. Anglican Archbishop Cranmer, who was made to watch, would go to his own death the following year. And here's the thing. God is aware of situations like that. And God can protect and deliver. And our job is to be content. Boy, pray like crazy. I would pray, God, give me deliverance. But our underlying understanding of God as we spend our time in our scriptures is to know that if God can and God wants to beckon us to heaven in that moment and use that death and that hardship or whatever we're going through as we as we go through it in a gracious godly way if God wants to do that that's even better than the deliverance because whatever God does is best right biblical example from Daniel in the Old Testament, Daniel 3, 14 through 18. And this is when Nebuchadnezzar had set up uh, this uh, idol. And when the world's music played, he said, everybody bow down to the idol I've set up. When you hear the world's tunes, you bow down and worship the idol. And these three of Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we can't do that. So here's the biblical. Here, here it is from Daniel 3, 14 through 18. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, 
lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Said the king, the all-powerful king. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And we know the end of the story. In that case, there was a fourth man in the fire walking around with them that looked like the Son of God. And the king was converted on the spot as they pulled them out of that fiery furnace. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had the attitude that you have. We're going to do what's right. We're going to live the truth. We're not going to live by lies. Uh, We're not going to answer and go along to get along. We're going to live for God. Whatever may happen to these earthly bodies. In this case, Elisha was doing what was right. Elisha was God's voice and God's spokesman, and God was delivering and saving the king of Israel and his people in that uncanny way. But they found themselves up against a super army coming down to get this one man, I guess, and his servant. Maybe they thought his servant was Cato uh, with all these... Uh, skills and all that stuff and could protect him. But, but they sent, once again, a big, overwhelming army to get Elisha. And so we see then in verses 14 through 17, and we'll touch base with it right now again. Um, so there they are. They've surrounded the city. And the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out. And behold, the army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, Elisha, what are we going to do? We are dead. There is no way we can get through all these people. What are we going to do? And he said, don't be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. As a kid, I was fascinated by a Christian T-shirt I saw somebody wear. I mom about it. And she encouraged me. That's a good way to think. I said, you plus God is a majority. And the more I've thought about it, you know, God's a majority of me. God's the majority. And God is strong. And God is stronger than any might and power that can assemble against him. Might look bad. A lot of times in these days, uh, people don't, uh, they don't, They know they can't get to God, so they go for God's people. And you say, I'm going to start carrying my Bible. I'm going to start living right. I'm going to say this or speak up for this. I can't just let this wickedness go. i got to say something in some way. And, boy, they can't get to God, but it enrages them because they are currently enemies of God, like this king of Syria was enemies of God, and he came after God's people. Sometimes we feel surrounded. And this young servant said, what are we going to do? He was in despair. And what happened? Elisha prayed in verse 17. He said, O Lord, 
Please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man. And the young man didn't just see the earthly armies. He saw what? What does it say he saw? He saw and behold the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I used to work in the kitchen back in college and there was this older woman and every time she would ask, I was the stock clerk. She'd come back and insult me and say, stock boy, stock boy, hey, stock boy. I'm like, okay, she's older than me. She can call me the stock boy, but I'm the stock clerk. I'm the stock man, uh, but uh, stock boy. But sometimes I would say I already put all those cans of, of uh, tomatoes and I got those cheese. I got all that stuff out there for you already. It's in the area. And she would always say, I'm from Missouri. You have to show me. <laughs> Come on, and I'll show her where everything is that I put out there. I'm from Missouri. You have to show me. Why is it called the show me state? Well, there was a congressman named Willard Duncan Van Vandeveer. 1897 to 1903, he served in Congress, and he gave a speech. And Here's what this Missouri congressman said. He said, I come from a state that raises corn and cotton and cockleburs and Democrats. And frothy eloquence neither convinces nor satisfies me. I am from Missouri. You have got to show me. And I think a lot of us, uh, maybe we've never been to Missouri, but we're kind of from Missouri. There are times in our life where you've got to show me. It's one thing to make the promise. Show me. The servant saw the earthly human armies. He knew there was no way out. And yes, it was overkill on behalf of the king. Could have just sent an assassin in there or a bounty hunter or something like that. But all the armies there. And I guess that's there for this story to have happened and, and to give faith uh, to us even as we, re we read this all these years later. In Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan writes the story of a young man named Christian on his way to the Palace Beautiful. And he's getting there, but he comes to a narrow passage. And in this narrow passage are these two lions that, that just scare him and frighten him. And Bunyan says, he saw the lions, but he didn't see the chains that held the lions. He was safe all along. We see the lions. We don't necessarily see the chains that are holding the lions. And we get scared. Every website I look at that says, major economist says, <laughs> crash coming unavoidable. You know what? Maybe right? Probably right. <laughs> Probably right. But you know what? There's some chains that restrain those things and God will protect his people. And we don't need to live in fear at all. Unseen protection is there even if it is not activated. Think of them coming to arrest Jesus and Peter taking out his sword cut off the man's ear. My theory, and probably there's just a good, somebody, somebody can come up afterwards and just say, uh, yeah, you're right or no, you're wrong, that's dumb, that's okay. But my theory, how do you get the guy's ear off without really doing major damage? And I, I think probably it was one of those helmets. You've seen the pictures of them that have the ears. And, but anyway, he was swinging his sword and he, he cut off the, the man's ear, the, the, uh, the, um, the servant of the high priest. And Jesus put that ear back on and he said, listen, live by the sword, you die by the sword. Um, 
Here's what he said in, in Matthew 26, uh, 52 through 54. Then Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? That power was there all the time, just not activated. That power is there for you all the time. Ready to be activated at God's loving good pleasure for you, his daughter, his son, for whom such great sacrifice was was made to make you part of his family. We don't always get to see physically the protection from God. But sometimes God does help us by letting us see his protection for us. Here's a paragraph from Dr. Davis talking about this 2 Kings passage. He says, what if God doesn't show you the horses and chariots of fire? Then you must go on leaning on the fact of verse 16 if the sight of verse 17 is denied you. How we need those unseen legions. You walk through the heartbreak of family breakdown, perhaps crushed by marital infidelity. You wait for your appointment in the oncology unit. Or you wade into one of those hated but recurring periods of deep depression. It's all right to ask him to show you a glimpse of the horses and chariots of fire. It's all right to ask for that. Sometimes we need that. Remember the man who said, I believe, help my unbelief, and that was good enough for Jesus? But a lot of times what I find this side, living this side of Calvary and this side of the cross, I I find that God helps his people by increasing their faith. Letting us see through the eyes of faith, so to speak. I'm sure that's how he works with you, mostly. But I bet if we think about it, we all have a story or two or three where God has just shown us this coincidence and then he's revealed to us This can only be from me. And he's let us see a little bit of his operation. And it's helped us. And it's helped us in faith in the times where we don't get to see it. God can do what God can do. God is strong. God is dominant. God is all-powerful. God loves the people for whom Jesus died. And God will protect his people. Understand, and we know this if we stop and think about it. If we all said, let's go to war against God, not God's people, that's easy pickings. You can find some Christian and trump up some charges and get them. You you can do all this stuff to God's people. Big whoop. Let's go to war against God. And let's train all of our weapons together at God. Let's get everybody, let's get every little who down in Whoville to to even aim rubber bands if if that's all they have for weaponry. And let's go to fight against God. How long does that war last of all of us people together against God who created all of us people, uh, of whom all the nations are as a drop in the bucket? How long does that war last? And if you say one second, that's the wrong answer. The right answer is it lasts as long as God wants it to last. And that's the thing. God is all-powerful. God has everything. It's like when the uh, eighth graders, when you were in, in uh, school playing football on the, on the playground, and you always had 
had the quarterback guy, and he would diagram the, the, the football play in the dust and put the X's and all that stuff, and then he'd cross it out with his feet so nobody could see it, and we'd go out for the pass. If it's eighth graders against seventh graders, maybe you need all that strategy and all that secrecy. But if it's eighth graders against first graders, you can just say, hey, Fred, go, go in the end zone, hold your hands up, I'll throw it to you. Uh, that's the power. There's, there's no comparison between human beings and God. And this poor servant, like all of us, sees the warriors. They see the things around us. They see the obstacles. They think, I'll never, ever, I'll never, ever. And we need the loving God to open our eyes and say, God is the majority. And God is good. And God loves his people. And God is the deliverer. It's okay to say, I believe, help my unbelief. When you say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, what is God's response to you? Oh, you chicken. Coward. No, it's I love you. I remember your frame. I know that you're dust. It will be okay because I am the king of everything. And you are my beloved child. And I won't withhold from you. God's protection is uncanny. It's largely unseen to the naked eye. And final point, like in the case of God's enemies, God's protection is totally unexpected. So verses 18 through 23, as we wrap this up, uh, the Syrians came down against him. And Elisha said to the, prayed to the Lord, he said, please strike this people with blindness. Struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha led them then to a place where they were the ones who were vulnerable. Now, Stricken with blindness. Let's, let's think about that for a minute. This is not blindness like Fanny Crosby or Ray Charles or Helen Keller, not that kind of blindness. It's more like the kind of blindness when your retina is torn and you've got these floaters going on in your eye. Um, I've heard a description of that. You can't see for a while. Or it's like when I was a little kid riding in the car with Grandpa Sorensen. And I kept noticing at night and and, and Grandpa would step, it was an old, one of those old models, remember when the, the light high and low beam were on the floor and you'd click over on them, did you ever have that in your cars? Maybe you still do, I don't know. But Grandpa would step on it, and the light would go from being bright to dim, and then the car would pass, it would go bright, and then it would go dim and bright and dim. And I said, Grandpa, why do you do that? He said, well, the lights are bright, but I have to do this so I don't blind the other driver. And I'm a little kid, and I know what blindness is, that's Helen Keller. And so a car is coming. And those other cars, they were doing that too when they'd come. But this car wasn't doing that. And Grandpa, he clicked so he wouldn't blind the other driver, but that guy was not, and he didn't click. And I closed my eyes. I remember shielding my eyes and praying that Grandpa wouldn't go blind because that guy wasn't, because I didn't understand the blindness. Okay, this kind of blindness that they were stricken with used one other time in the Old Testament, but in Hebrew language, this kind of blindness is a... Um, it was The other time in the Old Testament is when the Sodomites wanted to get those men, the angels that were visiting 
Lot back in Sodom. And they wanted to violate them. And they were stricken with blindness. And I always wondered why when they were stricken with blindness did they still grope and try to find the door to carry it out? Well, they were, they were doing that because the blindness was not a blindness that absolutely debilitated them where they could not see, but it was something going on with their sight, and it affected them to the point where they uh, were not effective uh, warriors, or in, in the old in that case of Lot, they weren't effective at, at doing what they did. So this is the blindness they experienced. And Elisha came to them, and he said, let me take you to where you will see the man you seek. And the man they were seeking wasn't necessarily Elisha. They had to get him out of the way. The man they were seeking all these years had been the king of Israel. I'll take you to that king of Israel. You follow me. Well, what could they do? They followed 10 miles uh, geographically. He led them to this place. And there they were in Samaria. And all of a sudden, uh, they went. They they opened their eyes. How How does it go here? Okay, verse 20. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. Well, the Lord opened their eyes and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. And then listen to the protection that God gives to his enemies in this case. The king of Israel is like, hey, great. He called him father, Elisha. He called him father. Father, can I strike him down? Can I strike him down? Can I kill him? Can I kill him? Can I kill him? And God had to give protection to those people who were enemies. You think about that. Think about that picture even on our vantage point from the cross. Because these people, they could either experience a bloodbath or a banquet. God gave the enemies the banquet and not the bloodbath. Here's what Jesus said. To us. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great. You'll be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and evil. Love those enemies. Don't treat them the way they would like to treat you. Retaliation. Uh, other places, turn the other cheek, walk the extra mile, give, give the, the shirt along with the cloak. All of these things. Uh, there's some instruction there, and it's even foreshadowed back here in Second Kings about how we treat the people who are God's enemies, therefore are our enemies. And they received the banquet. Yes, God protects you, his people, his adopted children. But think back to the time before you were God's children, before you were saved, to use that biblical term. What could describe you then? Orphans? Yeah. Spiritual orphans? Yeah, that's a a good description. Dead? Yeah. Spiritually dead? Yeah, that's a good description. But another description that talks about each one of us before we entered into a saving relationship with God is that we were enemies of God. That's another biblical word to describe those who are not Christians yet. They're God's enemies. And what happened? Romans 5, 9 through 11. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, this is how God treated his enemies, not the bloodbath, but the banquet. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, 
Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We were enemies. We were blind. All of a sudden, our eyes were open, even to our blindness, and we could see clearly. And we saw our state we were in. There was a king who in wartime, battles of war, could have killed us. Didn't. Didn't. The bloodbath or the banquet, for us it was the banquet. And let this be our own attitude toward those who are enemies of God and therefore hate us. Don't return evil for evil. Now I will say this, scripturally, I'm going to give you a scripture passage to hang this on, so it's not just me talking. It's scripture. Um, there is coming a time in the next age when everything's gone, when Christ returns, and there is a standing in front of God, and everybody gives an account where the enemies of God will be put to spiritual death. There's a time for the enemies to be put to death, but it's not while we're walking here on earth. And God is the one who does this. It's a very scary passage. And if you're not a Christian, I hope you're scared. Jesus, in a parable he told, said this, But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. And there is a place that was built for the devil and his angels, where human beings who are enemies of God, who remain enemies of God, go. If you're a Christian, pray and work as God uses you as he converts people from being enemies to friends, just like he did you. You pray and you work for that. I was an enemy. He made me his friend. I want all these people who are his enemies to be his friends. I'm going to pray. God uses prayers. We don't understand how it all works in the, in the big cosmic uh, blender, uh, how it goes and how it works, but we know we pray. And God uses our prayers. We know we share the gospel, and God uses that. We know we let our light shine before people in such a way they see our good works and glorify our Father who's in heaven. If you're a Christian, you just pray and work as God uses you and you see enemies become friends. And you get to say, nah, no bloodbath, banquet for you. But if you're not a Christian, a friend of God, that does make you God's enemy. And I would say seek conversion. Repent and believe the gospel. That's the call for you, enemy. Don't get too comfortable being an enemy of God. You say, i got a truce with God, and I'll leave him alone if he leaves me alone. Well, in the last day, it's not going to happen that way. You can't make that truce. There's not some neutral place. Don't get too comfortable being an enemy of God. Choose the banquet, not the bloodbath. Here's Revelation 20, 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's how it ends, for the enemies. So what a passage. God's uncanny protection for his people. God's unseen protection for his people. And God's wonderful protection and his way of delivering his enemies from death to life. And that's perfect to go to the table, but I do want to remind you, for those of us walking in this Christian life, of the verse I started out with, that second point. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. I want God surrounding me. 
I want him to be my protector. I want him to be my friend. I want him to be my king and my sovereign. I want my interests to be his interests. And that's what we have if you're a Christian. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being your people. Thank you that though we were enemies, Jesus Christ came and, and, and bore that uh, justly deserved enmity. And that now we are friends because of the work of Christ on the cross for us. We thank you for opening our blind eyes. Thank you for the gifts of repentance and faith. Repentance, understanding where we are without God. Faith in Jesus and what he did on our behalf. And we thank you for salvation. Thank you that we can live in this life. And though we get afraid that, that uh, you can do like you did for this servant and open our spiritual eyes and help us to see that we are protected and cared for. In Jesus' name, amen.